Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. Hey, thanks for saying hello. I'm, I'm looking up here and going, wow, these couches are really cool and no one is sitting on them. And um, so if you want to get within spitting distance, there's some really comfortable seats here at the front. Uh, my name is Mark Scandrett. I'm a long-term friend of Baymarin. Uh, some blasts from the past for you. Uh, a couple of people who have been involved in Baymarin helped me start an organization called Reimagine about 20 years ago, Rod Washington and Dieter Zander. And every couple of years, I, I get a chance to come and hang out uh, here with you all. And I'm really grateful to be here with you this morning. Um, this morning, I want to do a talk that I like to call the Ninefold Path. And I'll explain a little bit more about it in just a couple of minutes. Um, long term, my work has been in San Francisco and regionally in the Bay Area, but my life's sort of taken a curious turn over the last couple of years, and I end up doing a lot of international travel. So I've been on four continents this year. I um, have been, I've done three trips to Bangladesh to train uh, church and NGO leaders the la uh, over the last year. And um, in July, I got back from um, East Africa, which was my first experience on that continent, and got to do um, some amazing work training pastors. Here's one of our events. Um, go back to that slide for just a second. Um, I was sharing with them from what I'm going to share with you today. And one of the bishops uh, heard the people that he'd sent to the training say, if you don't bring this guy back to share more about this message, we're going to kill you. <laughs> so, um, I mean, that's how they talk. And it, 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 they, they really weren't going to kill him. But it was sort of like, we really need this. That's, that was what, what he was trying to say. Um, so today, I want to explore, uh, take a chance to look at the first few verses of Matthew 5 a place that um, is the, the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount. In English, we often call this the Beatitudes. And there's a little bit of a story for me about, um, about this. This has been my passion for the last three years. And um, back in uh, 2015, I was sitting in a pub in London with a Bible agency that had asked me to do some training with them. They said, we're thinking about doing a project about the Beatitudes. And they said, here's why. We have um, in the UK, which would be very similar, I think, in makeup to, um, to Marin County or to the Bay Area, they said in, um, very few people are part of faith communities anymore. Young people in emerging generations aren't that interested, or, or when they think of Christian faith, they don't think of something revolutionary and life-changing, they think of something old. And so we think that the Beatitudes might give us some vocabulary for describing this amazing life with God that scripture invites us into. And I said, great, that sounds awesome to me, I'm in. And if for those of you who know who I am, um, my passion is in uh, putting the teachings of Christ uh, practically into everyday life. I wrote a book once called Practicing the Way of Jesus that I got to do a little training about here, what was it, two or three years ago. We spent an hour, some of us spent an afternoon together. And so they said, do that thing with us with the Beatitudes. So I said, awesome, that sounds great. So as they're describing the project, I said, you know what this makes me think of? And I said, um, when my first book came out, in uh, 2007, a Zen Buddhist priest contacted me. His name was Shinko Rick Sloan, and he lived over at Green Gulch, just not, not far from here. He contacted me and he said, um, he said, I saw your book in a bookstore and you are the kind of Christian that I think I might be able to talk to about what's going on with me. And he said, um, he said, I'm up for Dharma transmission, which means that he's fully endowed with the teaching. Like there's an unbroken lineage between um, Siddhartha Gautama Buddha and, and my friend Rick. He said, but I've been holding off going through the process because when I sit, I hear Jesus calling to me and I don't know what to do about that. So could we get together and talk? And I'm like, yeah, let's talk. So on our first time getting together, we went for a walk 
And I, I said to Rick, I don't really know that much about your spiritual path. I mean, I looked it up on Wikipedia and, you know, like I've, I've read a few articles here or there. But um, what, when you wake up in the morning, what do you want to be about? Like, like, what is this path that you're on? And in about two minutes, Rick said, well, here's the, here's the Four Noble Truths. And then the, the eightfold path. These are, these are things that I, when I wake up in the morning, I'm trying to deepen my experience of. And I thought, wow, this is amazing that in two or three minutes he could describe what he's try, where, where he's going. And, um, and then I started to wonder, if Rick had asked me, Mark, you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, what are you about when you wake up in the morning? Um, I, um, I, I think I would have been a little like hesitant. Like I'm not, I'm not stupid. I probably could have come up with something and I would have said something like, well, yeah, you know, like um, my, my first impulse would have been to think about what I've come to believe about God, the universe, reality, myself, that makes me a Christian, right? Um, I might've told a story about back when I came to faith but, and maybe I would have been able to come up with something like, well, I wake up, when I wake up in the morning, I want to love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself, right? But something wasn't totally satisfying to me about the thing that I thought I would tell him, because, um, because I thought, that's not very specific, you know, like it's sort of vague. What does it mean to love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself? It seems like um, maybe, maybe I'd need a little more clarity about this. And so I wondered, maybe as uh, Christians, we struggle to be like Christ because we suffer from not having a clear um, sort of vocabulary for describing this way that we're on, this path that we're on. Interestingly, I don't think it's because Jesus was unclear about his way. Um, Matthew collected the many sayings of Jesus in Matthew 5 to 7, and um, many scholars would say this is the best example we have of the things that Jesus went around and proclaimed and taught. So it's there, the picture of what the curriculum for Christ-likeness is. And so, um, but how can I remember those things? Sermon on the Mount has a lot of content to it. Um, I can get sort of lost trying to remember it. I've even memorized it, but how do I get, get handles on it? And so this project gave us a chance to create some handles so that we could have some vocabulary around what is this way of Jesus that he's inviting us into. And so um, I got to start working on that. And I'm going to try in, on, in one morning, in one talk, to summarize to you what I've been thinking about and working towards night and day for the last three years. It's only going to take 12 hours, so um, there's a few donuts in the back. No, I'm, we're going to try and do this in about 40, 45 minutes or so. Um, but it's going to be a different kind of talk than maybe sometimes we're used to. I'm going to actually invite you at times to get up and move around with me. Uh, turn and say something or look into the eyes of the person sitting next to you. Um, if you're able to stand, you might want to stand for part of the talk. You know, they, they say that sitting is the new smoking, right? You've heard this? That if we sit eight hours a day for work, it sh takes like two and a half or three years off of our lifespan. So I want to help you with that today. So I'm going to invite you to stand a few times during the talk. So I'm wondering, would you be, would you be game to try a different style of talk with me that you, where your participation is going to be important? to this. Can you give me a thumbs up? Okay, awesome. Wow, I love the enthusiasm. So, um, Matthew 5 says that Jesus went out on a mountainside and began to teach. And, um, and he said, blessed are the poor, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger for justice, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted, and blessed are you. I would often hear uh, one of my mentors, Dallas Willard, when he would get to this passage, he would say, you, to understand what was going on there, it's most likely that as, um, as Jesus is looking out on this crowd of people, he sees a guy who barely has enough clothes on. 
And he walks over to him and says, blessed are the poor brother. Yours is the kingdom. Uh, maybe he saw uh, a woman who was wearing dark clothes, suggesting that she was in mourning. And so he, he approaches her and says, blessed are those who mourn, sister. God's going to comfort you. And then he sees someone who's a day laborer, right? I often see this in the developing world. Um, people who don't have a job but go out every day hoping that they're going to earn enough, a dollar or two for the things that their family needs. And he goes up to this person and says, blessed are the meek, brother. You're going to inherit the earth. And so what Jesus is doing with this passage, one of the things that he's doing is shaking up our expectations about who is blessed. Makarios is the Greek word and, um, for blessed. And it literally means you are so lucky. Your life is so good. You are like gods. It would be like we sometimes treat our celebrities, like Beyonce has it going on, living at a whole other level of existence. That's what makarios, that's what blessed means. Except Jesus is using the word and going around talking about people who are mourning and people who are struggling with having enough calories and people who are getting up every day just to try and work for their daily bread. And he says, you are blessed. You are makarios. You've got it going on like Beyonce. And so to Jesus' first audience, this is shocking news. Is it possible? Because their assumption was only the most famous, the most wealthy, the most successful, the most beautiful are blessed. And the, the rest of us are suffering down here. So that's one thing going on with the Beatitudes. It might help us also to understand that at the time that Jesus shared this message on the hill, it was a time of real upset in um, Isra Israelite culture. Um, they, they were occupied by Rome, forced to carry the packs of Roman soldiers. They could come into your house and demand that you cook food for them. Temple worship was being threatened. And so most people you would talk to would be like, there's a crisis going on. Things, th things are not like they should be. And there were three different groups who had different ideas about how to deal with that crisis. There was a group called the Sadducees, and they tended to be the more wealthy and established people. And their thought was, we're going to navigate this crisis by colluding with the Romans. Maybe they'll install us as puppet governors, and that's how we'll, that's how we'll get through this. There was another group called the Pharisees, and they said, you know what? The reason why the Romans are here and why we're facing this struggle is because we have not followed the 613 mitzvahs or laws of our, of our religion and all the other laws that we've written um, to help support us following those laws. So if we get really careful about our, um, how much of our dill and mint and cumin we, we tithe, it's gotta be strict 10% we bring, bring to the temple. And if we really observe our prayer times and all of our laws, God will honor that, kick out the Romans and give us our land back. And then there was a third group called the Zealots. And they said, we shouldn't collude with the Romans. It's, it's not about following every jot and tittle. This is a crisis that we need to take arms about. And so those zealots would initiate these skirmishes with the Romans in different places. So if you can imagine it, all three of those groups of people were represented when Jesus was sharing this message on the hill. And um, I think it's a t we live in a time not unlike the time that they lived in, where we know that there's crisis in our world, crisis in our country, crisis with um, our environment, um, crisis with mass migrations of people just trying to survive. And there's a lots of different ideas about how to, how to get through this and what the solutions are. And we don't all agree on those things. Jesus is speaking his message of good news into that real place of struggle that we experience in our lives. So 
Um, next slide. Let's, so I want to suggest that um, with, this, with the Beatitudes, Jesus isn't just calling unlikely people blessed. He's also doing something else. And here's why I think that. Um, being poor or poor in spirit, mourning, um, being, being a meek or a lowly person, this, those are undesirable qualities. But not all nine of the Beatitudes are like that. The next one says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice. Nothing wrong with that. Blessed are the merciful. That's a good quality. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's a good quality. So... Um, that made me wonder, maybe Jesus is using these nine statements of blessing to introduce the themes of his teaching and that they fit with human experience. So what if uh, the Beatitudes function like the table of contents for the message that's going to roll out in the next three chapters? And he's just highlighting these are different areas of human experience that my good news for you touches. Does that make sense? So I did a bit of study on this. I looked at, I did word searches and analysis on those statements of the nine Beatitudes statements. And then I looked how they played out in the Sermon on the Mount. And then I looked at how Jesus lived those things out in his, um, in his life and his ministry. So let's just say that three things might be going on here. That Jesus with this, these beatitude statements is naming the illusions or distortions that have held us captive. That might be one thing. Um, when I was in Bangladesh a few months ago, uh, a driver was taking me back to where I was staying and he was pointing things out along the way. And he was like, uh, here you have this certain hotel and uh, here you have our government buildings. And then he goes, and here you have your elephant. And I was like, what? And I looked out the window and literally two feet from the car was an elephant walking next to us as we were driving down the road. And um, I guess it's popular for weddings to have, uh, to you know, pose on the elephant. And so they were bringing it back from a wedding. And sometimes they told me later, they'd take the elephant and bring it across the freeway and um, stop traffic. And you have to pay a little bit. Um, and then they'll move the element back to the side of the road. But I heard a story about elephants when I was a kid that has really stuck with me. And um, I believe it's a true story. Um, when, you, when a baby elephant comes into the world and you want to domesticate it, you want to make it part of a circus, um, you will, tie, you will um, fasten a chain around one of its legs and um, uh, connect it to a rope or chain and you'll tap a stake into the ground. And that baby elephant will tug against that chain, we're trying to get free. And they, um, they'll eventually, after trying and trying and trying, they're just not strong enough, they will eventually give up. So in their mind, they've believed something that's not, uh, they believe that they can't pull up that stake, right? Well, eventually the elephant grows and grows and grows, but they keep doing the same thing. Tap a stake into the ground, but the elephant learned when it was small, I can't be different than I am right now. And they will not even try to pull up that stake. If they just wanted to, if they just believed that it was possible, they could go like this with their leg and they would be free, right? No big deal. I think our lives might function in a similar way. When we were young, um, maybe before we came to Christ, we had these uh, distorted images about what was possible and what was impossible. And we believe those things, and it has held us as captives to what the Apostle Paul said are called the kingdom of darkness. But in the Gospels or in the le Paul's letters, it says, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. So there's a different way to live. And so during, my, during our exploration of this today, I wanna to try and make a contrast between how we think and how we navigate life in the kingdom of darkness and what it might look like to live more fully in the kingdom of light. Does that make sense? All right, so 
The Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount name these illusions, and second, point us towards, back towards what's real and true. One of my favorite understandings of um, the kingdom of God that Jesus talks so much about is that it's synonymous with reality. Jesus is simply saying, here's what's really true. Here's how life works and works best. Come learn my way um, with me. And finally, uh, that the Beatitudes invite us into a new way of life, into a new way to walk. And so um, we'll have to reference some things from the Sermon on the Mount to kind of tease some of those things out. But those will become more clear as we get into the specific Beatitudes. All right, so... As I was doing my, um, some of my study on this, I, re- I read many, many books on the Beatitudes, and one that stuck out to me was written by a guy named E. Stanley Jones, who was a, a pioneer missionary in India back in the 1920s and 30s. What makes E. Stanley Jones stand out, one of the things, is that he was personal friends with Mahatma Gandhi. In fact, he wrote a book about Mahatma Gandhi um, that a young man named Mark junior read and through that book he discovered this kind of method of nonviolent resistance and a little known fact about Mahatma Gandhi that E. Stanley Jones shared is that he, uh, Mahatma Gandhi would get up in the morning every morning and read the Sermon on the Mount it was his way of getting focused on the day And uh, uh, E. Stanley Jones later comments on this in the book, and he says, a little man in a loincloth in India picks out from the Sermon on the Mount one of its central principles, applies it as a method for gaining human freedom, and the world, challenged and charmed, bends over to catch the significance of this great sight. It is important of what would happen if we would take the whole of the Sermon on the Mount and apply it to the whole of life. It would renew our Christianity and it would renew our world. In other words, if someone who doesn't even identify as a Christian pays careful attention to the teachings of Jesus, it brings freedom to whole countries. So what if someone who does identify as a follower of Jesus paid just as much attention to the things that Jesus lived and taught? What would that do to the church and to the world? Fascinating. So let's dig into this. Um, I'm going to go through, or we're going to go through, each of the nine statements of the Beatitudes. And I'm going to try and point out the mentality of the kingdom of darkness that we start off with. And then the, the, um, the path of awakening, salvation, enlightenment, the re- kingdom reality that the beati- this be- each Beatitude points us towards. We maybe had to start out with this certain mentality just to survive. But if we stay in it, it becomes toxic. And this is why Jesus is giving us this vision of kingdom life. You'll see what I'm saying in just a moment. Let's look at the first one. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's where your part of the um, teaching starts. Um, What does poverty mean? Poverty is when you don't have enough or you feel like you don't have enough. Something is missing. Something is lacking. In fact, um, my, I remember when my kids were born, when they came out of the womb, their hands were clasped like this, and they started crying, and I'm wondering if what they were thinking in their simple little minds was, I'm hungry, it's cold here, this is, I don't have what I need, and Anybody ever seen a child do this when they've come right out of the mother's body, right? This is our first instinct. And so I want you to close your hands like this. Grasping, holding tight, living in anxiety, or we could call it fight or flight response. This is where we begin our lives. And it is the cause of, on a personal level, worry, anxiety, stress, hurry, striving. 
And on a societal level, it's responsible for all of the inequity that we see in this world, the grabbing and the hoarding of things and keeping things from those who need them most, right? And um, so I'm gonna ask you a second, how does it feel to live, to, to hold your hands like this? Go ahead and do it, how does it feel right now? Tiring? Tight? Normal? <laughs> well, maybe we can do something about that. So, if we live in the kingdom of darkness, in our experience, this is what life feels like. When you worry, when you're anxious, when you're striving, you're not living in the kingdom of light. Everything necessary for you to live in the kingdom of light has happened through the, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, but experientially you're not in that reality, right, if you're living with closed hands like this. And so with this statement from the Beatitudes, Jesus is showing us one area of human experience where we can experience new life and salvation. So let's, let's try and go from kingdom of darkness over to here to kingdom of light. What does scripture teach? What's reality? Reality is that we live in a world where the rain falls and the sun shines and the earth produces what is needed for human thriving. Uh, we, we live in a world with an abundant creator. And so this beatitude invites us to relax our hands. Go, go ahead and open your hands with me. Receive what you need with thanks. Ask, seek, and knock for the things that you don't have that you lack and expect the provision to come. And then here's the, here's the other part. Share with each other. So I want you to do this with somebody else near you. Share what you have with the people around you. If we could learn to live, go from that posture of scarcity to a posture of open-handed abundance, how might our, our lives and all life on earth be different than it is right now? And so this beatitude invites us to live and pray this prayer. So I want you to put your hands out like this and let's read this uh, prayer together. Lord, lead us in the way of trust. Amen? Second beatitude. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. It's a very strange thing to, to, um, for, for Jesus to say. I mean, basically he's saying, happy are those who are unhappy. What is going on there? This is not like your best life now, kind of uh, like, like, you know, like you, you get the guy into your company to talk about like motivation. Because his second, second thing is, happier you when you're sad and mourning. What's going on here? So when we're born into the world, I can remember when it happened to me. I was two or three years old, and I was like, wow, the world is, is pretty messed up. Sad things happen, uh, like being in nature is kind of prickly, like bees sting and, and like um, there's sometimes thorns on bushes and mosquitoes biting me. I grew up in the Midwest and, and, um, I, I, um, and, and I felt this pain. And when, when parents and, and aunties and uncles see a child that is uncomfortable, that's feeling sadness and pain, our, our, our first instinct is we wanna help comfort them, right? We wanna distract them from whatever is causing all of this. And so as human beings, we've gotten really good at this. Uh, uh, an adult might hand a, hand a lollipop to a child or say, hey, look at, the, look at what's on my phone right now instead of what's making you sad, right? That's what we do these days. But our first impulse in the kingdom of darkness is to run from what's hard and what's painful. So can you do like this with me? This is like running from or trying to avoid what's hard or what's painful. And with great wisdom, well, first of all, let's say this, that Jesus had great wisdom to know that running from the pain of our lives doesn't help. 
that um, actually sitting with the pain and facing it is where we're going to find our true comfort. And this is why he says, don't run from pain. Just don't, don't try and just distract yourself from those things, but learn to face it. So how do we run from pain? Well, as kids, I mentioned a couple examples, but as adults, we've gotten even better at this. And so we've, we, we, we've got all kinds of coping mechanisms that help us distract ourselves from what's sad. Um, many of us have become addicted to our phones and they're actually engineered to help us feel distracted and get those juices of dopamine going every time we hear the blip or the bling or the ding. We find out that food is a, is a way of escape or comfort or whatever. There's a difference between what's, what provides comfort and, and running from those things. Uh, th- those things that cause pain. Uh, sometimes it's comforting for me to watch, uh, watch an episode of a show I like, right? But I know that I'm moving towards escape and numbing when I'm sh- on show number three or four or five, right? Sometimes so for some of us, it might be nice to have a, a, a glass some uh, caffeine or wine that we enjoy, but maybe it goes from comfort to something else when it's cup number eight of coffee or three of wine or something like that. You know the difference, right? For whatever it is in your life. So Jesus inv- is inviting us to, instead of running from our pain, to face the pain. Ancient people knew how to do this. When something sad would happen, they would tear their clothes. They would pour ashes on their head. So I want you to put your hands on your head like this right now. And uh, if you have enough hair, you even pull your hair a little bit. Like, oh, cry out. Things, I don't like how things are. So I'm going to invite you to take a, a bit of a step of vulnerability with me right now. This isn't theoretical. Let's sit with this. Um, When you look at our world right now, or you look at things in your own life, what are the things where you feel pain? What hurts? Uh, I'll share share one first. Um, When I was driving up here this morning, I was thinking about this, and... um, I thought about that, uh, that rally in Portland yesterday where a group of white supremacists was, uh, was up there make, trying to make a point and, and that felt like pain to me. Uh, I'm also thinking right now of uh, my daughter who's disabled and uh, this young woman who doesn't have, you know, has so many uh, a complicated medical condition that she's not able to work, she's in a lot of pain and that's where I'm feeling the pain today. Would there be one or two of us who would be willing to speak out loud? Where do you feel the pain today? What are you mourning about today? What's breaking your heart? You can just share it. Yeah, people who feel excluded from the church. Hmm. What else? Yeah. Just friends and family members that struggle with illness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Physical illness, mental illness. Mm. Yeah, broken relationships. Mm-hmm. When I compare myself to other people. Yeah, feeling less than. Mm-hmm. Mm. If we had time, we could probably go around the whole room and each of us has something like this on our hearts. And what Jesus is saying to us this morning is, if you'll sit with and name your pain instead of running, you can experience my present comfort. I'm not gonna fix everything maybe, but I can give you a piece that doesn't make sense in the middle of this. And so this beatitude invites us to live and pray the prayer. Put your hands on your head with me and say this. Lord, lead us in the way of lament. One of the ways I'm trying to practice this is by taking a few minutes each day, especially in the morning, And I'll spend 10 minutes just sitting before the creator being still and saying, look at what's in my heart, what's making me sad, what am I feeling anxious about, and trying to practice not running, but sitting with it and inviting God into those situations in my life. And the more I do that, the more kind of comfort I feel in the midst of the struggles of life. 
third beatitude, Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. How are the meek blessed? If you want to get ahead, you've got to go for it. You've got to push your way to the top. Um, the meek get nothing. So why would Jesus say this? What he's getting at is this mentality that's in the kingdom of darkness of competition and comparison. If you're able, stand with me for just a second. There's a way of thinking that we learned as children that goes something like this. I remember when it happened to me, we looked, we looked around and we go, who's, um, who's the tallest? Who's the smartest? And um, am, I, am I taller or am I shorter? Right? So do like this with me. Do some comparing. Um, who is the best at sports? Who's less good at sports? Right? Who is the most attractive? Who is less attractive? And we, we think about this in different life categories. Let's go to the next slide. Who's most successful? Most attractive, wealthy, intelligent. If I can't win in those ways, maybe I'll go with being more virtuous or holy than other people, right? But we do this math of comparing ourselves to one another. So keep doing this just so you remember what this is. Um, um, they sometimes call this uh, uh, like social identity theory. And the idea is that we're trying to figure out who we are by comparing ourselves to others. And so some of us really work hard to get on top. We want it to be the best, right? And it's exhausting. Others of us, we've tried and we're like, no, I'm actually down here. I'm, I'm, I'm giving up. I am less than in myself. So the question is, let's go to the next slide. Uh, um, one more slide and then we'll go back to that one. Is comparing our identity uh, ourselves to one another a secure and stable way to build a healthy sense of self-esteem. I get kind of schizophrenic when I try and do this. Uh, I think of myself as, for a guy my age, almost 50, I'm in pretty good physical shape, right? I'm working hard at it, eating less, exercising more. Uh, but then I was, um, I was teaching in Australia a few months ago, outside, uh, like at a beach town by Sydney, and all the guys who were five or 10 years older than me looked better than me because they surf like five times a week and I don't, I don't know what's in the water there, but I, I went from being like up here, right? Suddenly, I'm down here. Uh, I, I go through this all the time. Like um, I, live, I live in the mission in San Francisco and I'm way more well off than a lot of my working class and, um, and uh, neighbors. But then there's this guy, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, that moved to the neighborhood about <laughs> a few years ago like in comparison, I'm way down here, right? I go back one slide. Um, Lisa and I have gotten a chance to be with some Aboriginal people the last couple of years in South Australia. They were not even considered by their government to be human beings until 1969. Weren't given citizenship on the land that they have lived on for at least 40,000 years. And um, and I remember being with them and realizing they, they walk around feeling less than. And, and it wasn't just in something in their head. Uh, I took them to the mall and I would see people look down on them with contempt. Uh, when we were in Australia a couple months ago, I was, um, I was teaching on this theme uh, and uh, an, an elderly woman named Auntie Denise said, I have spent most of my life thinking that I'm less than and that I am junk. And I'm slowly just beginning to realize I'm not junk, I'm a child of God. And so um, if comparing ourselves to one another is not the answer, is there another way? It's a trap to compare ourselves with one another. You're gonna, eventually, we're all going to lose because there's always going to be someone more attractive, more virtuous, more, uh, more successful. And so could we find a different way? Let's see what that might be. Reality is the most secure sense of self you can have is that you were made in the image of the creator and endowed with intrinsic value and worth. So I want you to put your hand on your heart 
And I want you to say this phrase with me that is true to what scripture says about you. I am made in the divine image, a creature of infinite dignity and worth. It can feel kind of hokey to say these sorts of things, but this is actually true about you. And most of us struggle to believe this is true. If it is true about you, it's also true about every other person in this room and in our entire world. Next slide. So I want you to turn to another person and I want you to remind them of this thing being true. And so I want you to turn to them and in your own words, if you don't want to use these words, you say, you are made in the divine image, a creature of infinite dignity and worth. Tell them that right now. You too, sister. You're made in God's image, a creature of infinite dignity and worth. So this is how we move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And this is, Jesus showed this, this in, in a particular story from the Gospels. You can be seated, actually, if you want. Um, there's a story about his disciples uh, who they were always asking who's the greatest, even while he's on his way to die on the cross. They're wondering which of them is the greatest. And a little later at dinner, Jesus takes off his, his, Sarah, his party clothes and starts washing the feet of his disciples. And a few of them go, you're not going to wash my feet. You're the great rabbi up here. I'm down here. And we sometimes, when we read that story, think, wow, Jesus is showing amazing humility. That's actually not the, I don't think that's the main point of the story. The main point of the story is that his disciples were still in this mentality of the kingdom of darkness, thinking that there's some people up here and some people down here. And instead, Jesus is saying, come into the kingdom of light where we're all up here. We're all made in God's image. We're all valuable. Let's honor and treat each other in that way. And so this beatitude invites us to live and pray the prayer. Put your hand on your heart again and say this with me. Lead us in the way of humility. All right, fourth beatitude. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice. I'm using that word justice there because in the original language, there was, there was not two separate terms for righteousness and justice. Righteousness tends to help get us thinking about being right with God or justified with God. But in the, um, in the Greek language, those two terms mean the same thing. Being right with God and living in right relationship with others is one and the same thing. Well, we come into the world and we look at, the, we, we look at the, the problems that there are in the world. So many different struggles. Um, and our, uh, you know, chi child abuse, like lack of, lack of foster parenting um, um, families, um, mass migration of people who are just trying to survive or escape war, so, um, racism, so many things. And our first tendency, our first impulse when we see these overwhelming problems is to throw our hands up in the air. So do, do this with me. Just what can one person do? The problems are overwhelming. I guess we got to wait for Jesus to come back because it's not going to get any better. We just throw up our hands, right? This is the mentality of the kingdom of darkness, to just give up. What's kingdom reality? Kingdom reality is that you and I were made a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned with glory and honor. I want you to stand up with me for a second. You're not helpless, we're not hopeless. Jesus said in this same sermon, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Your choices make a difference in this world. So, so he's inviting us to embrace our power. Let's see the next slide a second there. To embrace our power. So I want you to put your hands across your chest like this. This is not a fighting posture. It's a posture of confidence and strength. Think Wakanda or Wonder Woman, right? 
Um, we're not hopeless. We've got power. Whatever we see that's wrong in this world, we can think about how we want to live and pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How can we make choices today that make the world more like the creator dreams for it to be? And it can happen, and it does happen, we, where we shape the world by our choices. And so this beatitude invites us to live and pray this prayer. Next slide. Lead us in the way of justice. We, we have power and we can use our power to make a difference in this world. Amen? All right, you may be seated. Next beatitude. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. When we're born into this world, our first tendency, I think, and maybe this is part of how we develop our, our sense of uh, moral compass, is we look around and we go, Who's the good people and the bad people, right? I remember when I was a little kid, like hearing stories or watching a television show and there was always a good guy and a bad guy. And we do that same thing with ourselves. Am I a good boy or a bad boy, right? A good girl or a bad girl. We learn to look at the world through eyes of judgment. So I want you to put your fingers up like this measuring, judging. Is that a good guy right there? Is, is that a good girl? Are they, living up to, are they living the way that they should? There used to be this uh, Canadian comedy where this, um, the, one of the characters, you, you, you know it, they would go, I squish you, and they would go around and squish heads. I squish you, <laughs> evaluating everybody. I squish you. Do a little head squishing. Just look around the room. I squish you. I squish you. I squish you. This is the mentality of the kingdom of darkness. As you're looking, pay attention to what it feels like to look with that, those eyes of compassion. And I also want you to reflect on what it feels like right now, knowing that the person looking at you is seeing you affirming that truth of grace towards you. This beatitude invites us to live and pray the prayer lead us in the way of compassion. Let's say that together while we're still looking in each other's eyes. Lead us in the way of compassion. Sometimes after doing something intense like this, you just need to hug it out. So if, so if you want, just kind of give a hug to the person that you're looking at. Brother, we didn't get a chance to look at you, but I was thinking about it. All right, beatitude number six. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Wow, purity of heart. So when we were small, um, and one thing I love about young children is that um, little, small children just say whatever they're thinking, <laughs> right? Um, I'm hungry. I, I did this once to my neighbors. I said, will you give me a gift, please? Like to the, my elderly neighbors. You know, like I came to your house one time, you gave me a gift. Can you give me another gift right now? I'd really like one. Like kids sometimes say the most appropriate things, inappropriate things that are honest, right? Eventually, you and I realized, oh, it doesn't pay off to be honest. If I shared what I was really thinking and feeling inside, what would other people think? And so we created what psychologists sometimes call a persona, uh, a mask that we wear. So I want you to put your hands up like this. And I want you to think about what's, um, uh, consider for a minute, what are the masks that you wear? What's a way that you try and um, polish up, present yourself to others in a way that you would like to be seen that might be different than the truth that you know, already know about yourself. So one thing that's um, difficult about, about these masks, would you mind standing up with me? Come on over here. Is that if we're wearing our masks, we're not really relating to the real person, right? You're relating to my mask, I'm relating to your mask, we're not really connecting, right? And what our creator desires for us is real connection. 
And this happens in two different dimensions. Thank you. Um, the first way that we wear the mask actually goes back to the story of Adam and Eve. They made a choice where they felt seen, they felt shame. Their first instinct was run and hide. And that's what they did. It says they ran into the bushes, they tried to cover themselves, and they, were, they sort of made God into the enemy. God's going to be upset if God knows the truth about me. And they were the ones that, I think it's interesting, they were the ones that created distance from the creator themselves. In the story, what we see is the creator searching for intimacy. Adam, where are you? We usually go for a walk at the end of the day, but I can't, but, but, but you're, 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 what are you doing over there hiding in the bushes? Who told you you were naked? Come on out here, be with me again. And so that tells me something about our running away from our creator, even though our creator is running towards us. And so um, the first way that we learn to be pure of heart is to take our mask off with our creator and say, God, here I am. You know everything about me. You know what my struggles are. You know what my temptations are. You know the mistakes I've made in my life. I trust that the way you see me is so full of grace that I'll let you see everything about me. Um, 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess, if we tell the truth about ourselves, God is faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness. Kingdom of darkness is hiding. Kingdom of light is when we allow ourselves to be seen, knowing that God's light, God's presence heals, transforms, and purifies. It's the safest place you can be in the universe. And if we can learn this in our relationship with the creator, it, we can learn to do it with one another too. Instead of hiding behind masks, we start telling the truth. And it, and it deepens our intimacy with one another as well. Let's go to the next slide. And so this beatitude invites us to take off the masks, sh show the real us, tell the truth, to God and to the trusted people in our lives. It invites us to pray this prayer. Put your hands up like this. This is not a natural posture for a lot of us. You sort of feel a little bit seen just by, you're drawing attention to yourself. That's the point. This beatitude invites us to live and pray this prayer. Lord, lead us in the way of right motive. Doing what's, being honest and doing what's good. Thanks. Seventh beatitude. Okay, we're almost through. We've made it through six. We got three more, and they're going to go quick, and we're, we're, we'll have accomplished something together today. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. When we were young, we, were, we naturally thought in terms of us and them. My family, your family. My town, my country, your town, your country. My sports team, your sports team. So do this with me, us and them. We divide the world into the people who are like us, like what we like, live how we wanna live, and then everybody else is over there in the other category. And this is the cause of so much uh, conflict in our world and we, it, even just how we talk. We talk a lot in terms of us versus them. Why do we do this? It's probably because we feel insecure and we want to make sure that we're in the right group. I'm a, a part of the right religion, the right church, the right family, the right company, live in the right place, and then you all are over there. That's still in the kingdom of darkness. Kingdom of light invites us into the reality that actually, even though there are differences between us, what's, what we have in common is greater than what we, um, what we have different. And that we're all part of one bigger family, God's family. And so this beatitude invites us to do this with me, reach past difference to embrace and to connect, to learn to be peacemakers to go to the people that we have distance from, to go to the people that we've hurt, 
and check in with them. I had to do this this week with someone. I realized I've been told I've been, I'd hurt a friend of mine and that's why he hasn't talked to me for six years. And so I texted him this week and said, I just found out that you've been keeping this distance. What can I do to reach past and for us to connect and be at peace with one another? And so this beatitude invites us to live and pray this prayer. Say it with me. Lord, lead us in the way of peacemaking. The eighth beatitude, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of justice or righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, it feels good to do good. I say, I hold the door open for someone. Someone says, thank you to me. I wave and say hello. Someone says hello back. But what about those times when you're going about your business or you're trying to do good and instead someone slams the door in your face? They're ungrateful. They, they blame you for the problems in, in, in their life. Um, I, I had a situation a few months ago where I was walking across the street with my wife at a stoplight and a car was sitting at the light and the guy thought, I'm gonna scare these people. And he revved his engine and jerked forward a couple of feet. And I literally jumped and I tried to grab Lisa out of the way. And I looked in the window of that car and the guy was laughing at me <laughs> like he'd done this on purpose. I immediately <laughs> thought of words I wanted to say, things I wanted to throw at that car, going in, sticking my head in the window and giving him a piece of my mind, right? This is the mentality of the kingdom of darkness. When, when I've been hurt, when wrong's been done to me, it's time to fight. So I want you to do this. 1930s Hollywood boxing, right? I don't know why they did it this way. Um, um, so this is solidly in the kingdom of darkness. Because when wrong is done to us and we respond with wrong, it just perpetuates the wrong that is in the world. Does that make sense? There's a story I heard as a kid that, um, that has stuck with me that's about this, where um, a guy, uh, a, the guy in the story goes to work and his boss yells at him. So he goes home and he yells at his wife. She goes to their older child and yells at the older child and the older child goes over to the younger child and like pinches or kicks the younger child. And then the youngest child goes and looks for the family dog and kicks the dog, right? And then the dog goes looking for the cat. Do you know the story? You've heard this story before? But it's a, it's, a, it's a folk story about how we perpetuate evil in the world by retaliating for what's been done to us. In the kingdom of light, we find a different way to navigate these situations. We realize we're part of a bigger cosmic struggle between good and evil. And if we choose what is good instead of retaliating, we stop the cycle. And so this beatitude invites us into this posture of surrender to say, instead of fighting back, instead of trying to get my way, I will surrender because that's what takes more courage and more strength. So I want you to um, put this posture like this and say this with me. Lord, lead us in the way of surrender. All right, we made it to the last beatitude. You guys have been very patient to, um, to go through this with me like this. Uh, it says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So <clears throat> if, if we follow the other eight steps in the way of Jesus that we've gotten to in the Beatitudes, there's a good chance that we're gonna experience the same kind of suffering and struggle that Jesus faced. In fact, he promised it to us, that we would encounter resistance. And so what is it that gives somebody strength to face those things? In the kingdom of darkness, our natural tendency, when we feel danger, when we feel lack of safety, is to be afraid. So I want you to put your hands up like this. Oh, how am I gonna get through this? What, what might happen, right? Um, psychologists and philosophers both speculate that fear 
and possibly fear of death is what drives most human behavior at its core. Could we learn to live in a new way? What's reality? Reality is there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. What did Jesus have to remember in order to press on to give his life for us on the cross? What allowed him to do that was the hope that death is not the end, that life comes after life. Next slide. Um, I was recently in um, Bangladesh, and many of the people that are in this picture have been arrested and spent time in prison because of their faith in Jesus Christ. What surprises me is that they'll talk about it with a smile on their face. They're not like trying to make everybody feel bad about it. They're like, I'm happy that I, I, have, this, I have this experience of Jesus in my life. I, I want to tell the truth about that. And sometimes the, the government or the, my neighbors don't always like that. But I'm not like, uh, I'm not like sad or upset about that because I have hope in life after life. And so this beatitude invites us to go from this mentality of fear into a posture of courage and hope that life comes after life. We're heading towards the Lord's table together now. And there's many things that we can think about as we're taking the, the bread and the cup um, sometimes I think about the fact that the Jesus' body and blood are what bring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He, Jesus made that happen because of the acts and events of his life. Uh, another thing that I also think about sometimes when I'm taking the bread and the cup is Jesus said, come with me and lay down your life as I lay down my life for you. Pick up your cross, deny yourself, and walk that path. And if we have the courage to live in trust, in lament, in humility, we're going down that same path of, of self-giving love that Jesus did. And so in a way, communion is an opportunity for us to remember Jesus gave his life for me so that I could experience life in the kingdom. But I'm also being called to die to lay down my life. And um, sometimes it helps me to remember that I'm really being called to lay down my life, so why would I be upset about being cut off in traffic? Or one little comment someone says about me, because my real calling is to the cross, just as Jesus did, because I have hope in life after life. So in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to come up and take the elements of the Lord's table, and as you do today, I want you to remember two things. Jesus' sacrifice makes life, this new life in the kingdom possible. And second, I'm being called to love radically and out of hope and overcome fear to give my life away as well. So on the night Jesus was betrayed, uh, he, took, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he held it up and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, this morning, we're grateful for your fearless love that took you to the cross so that we can be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. We also feel your invitation to surrender our fears and to learn to live in the hope of resurrection as you did. And so we remember that as we take the elements today too. We have hope in life after life and you proved it by rising from the dead. So we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for the hope that we can have in you. We're especially thankful this morning that, that Scott's experiencing life with you right now in your eternal presence from that hope and that, and, that, and that we have the same opportunity at the end of our days on earth as well. Amen. As you're ready...
Come take the bread and the cup. We're going to do it by dipping the bread in the cup. And let's remember Christ's, Christ's sacrifice for us until he comes. That final beatitude invites us into the fearless love that Jesus modeled for us when he gave his life for us. So we want to pray that together as well. Let's pray the prayer. Lead, Lord, lead us in the way of radical love. Mm. Amen. Amen. Stay standing for just a minute. Uh, I want to thank you for letting me have a little bit more of your day today to get through the paint the whole picture of the kind of life that we're being invited into. Um, a couple thing, uh, final thoughts. Uh, let's see what the next slide is. Jesus is saying this is, this is his version of the good life. And um, I know that when I wake up in the morning, I often have all these competing ideas about what good life and success mm -hmm. looks like. And so about three years ago, I started using the Beatitudes as my way of getting prepared for the day. And I would, I would uh, take a walk around the park by my house and I'd say, okay, Lord, today you're inviting me to go from, from um, close-handedness to trust. What do I need to trust you with today? Today you're, you're inviting me to go from trying to run from pain to sit with pain. What's the pain I feel? Many days I, sp I wake up in the morning and the first thing on my mind is comparing myself to other people. And I go, God, what do I, how do I need to remember that, that I'm valuable already today and to get out of this game of competition and comparisons? It's given me a vocabulary for deepening my journey of really living in the kingdom of light. Sometimes my neighbors probably think I'm kind of crazy walking around the park, you know, doing like this, but it's been a great way to orient towards the, the curriculum for Christ-likeness. Mm -hmm. So I'd invite you to try this out this week. Look at the Beatitudes this, uh, each morning, adopt those postures, and um, allow God to examine you and invite you away from that psychology of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And if you need some help to remember them, I've brought some booklets that have those postures in them and a summary of what I've talked about today, as well as a longer journey that a small group or community group to, could go through to practice some of these things. But to close, as a benediction today, let's summarize what we've explored by taking on these postures as we pray through the Beatitudes. So join me. Lord, today... May we live with open hands, mourn what's broken, serve with self-respect, use our power for good, look with compassion, walk in honesty, reach past differences, suffer for love, and live fearlessly, following the way of radical love. Amen. Thank you.